Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Six Packers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 42. God has given everyone the right to private ownership so that we can enjoy the fruits of our labor, live with the dignity due to our humanity, and maintain a certain independence. Now that sounds good when we apply it to ourselves, but just how much honesty, integrity, and respect do we have when it comes to applying the God-given right of private ownership to others? Well, we'll examine that when we come back. What did Billy D. Williams... The celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. We all like to think of ourselves as good and honest people. We all tend to have a fairly high opinion of ourselves in that regard. But are we really as honest as we think? Personally, I think of myself as being honest almost to a fault. But when I review the Catholic Church's teachings on the 7th and 10th commandments, I realize that maybe my honesty is somewhat lacking. You may very well discover the same thing, so a review of the Church's teachings on the 7th and 10th commandments are necessary to help us in the formation of a right conscience. By the way, you should always be a little suspicious of people when they're arrogant enough to say they're honest to a fault. The 7th and 10th commandments are, You shall not steal and you shall not covet your neighbor's good, respectively. These commandments are treated together because they both deal with respect for property of others. Let's examine the 7th commandment first. The 7th commandment obligates us to respect the property of others, to keep our business agreements, and to pay our debts. Consequently, the Seventh Commandment forbids stealing, robbery, cheating, contracting debts beyond our means, unjustly damaging the property of others, accepting bribes, and knowingly buying or receiving stolen goods. Stealing is a serious sin if the thing stolen is of considerable value. Stealing something of small value from a poor person can be mortally sinful, and stealing in small amounts over a period of time could eventually become a mortal sin if the accumulated total becomes sufficiently large. Let's say the cashier at a supermarket gives you a dollar too much in change, and you don't realize it until you get out to the car, but you decide to keep it. This would be a venial sin. If that same dollar was stolen from, say, a blind beggar on a street corner, that could be mortally sinful. If a bank teller manages to steal $5 from his till and gets away with it, that's a venial sin. If he were to do this every week for an extended period of time, 
he'd commit a mortal sin. Now, people often ask what the dollar amount or value is that determines the difference between mortal and venial sin. Well, that isn't always easy to know. As a rule of thumb, moral theologians tell us that the difference between mortal and venial sin can be best determined by referring to your state's law. The amount your state designates as the difference between larceny and grand larceny should be your guide. If the amount taken is only larceny, the theft should be considered venial. If the amount stolen falls under grand larceny, you should consider it a mortal sin. If you're ever in doubt, consult a priest. If you're guilty of theft, no matter how minor, just going to confession isn't enough. We're obligated to restore stolen goods to the owner or their value whenever we're able. If the rightful owner's dead, the property has to be restored to his heirs. If there aren't any heirs, it has to be given to the poor for some other charitable purpose. If a thief can't restore all he's stolen, he's obligated to restore all he can. If he's used what's been stolen, he has to repair the damage by restoring the equivalent. If he can't restore anything at all, he must at least pray for the person he's wronged. If poverty or some other circumstance prevents the thief from making restitution immediately, he's obligated to resolve to do so as soon as possible, and must make an effort to fulfill this resolution. Restitution may be made secretly, without letting the owner know restitution is being made. For instance, a money order can be sent with an alias, or the priest, who is vowed to secrecy, may be entrusted with the property to be restored. I once had a middle-aged catechumen who'd managed to get away with embezzling several tens of thousands of dollars from a former employer. He told me about it while we were covering the Seventh Commandment, and he resolved to make restitution. In the years since his embezzlement, he became quite wealthy. He figured up the total dollar amount by factoring in the rate of inflation since theft. Then he'd added what that money would have earned if it had been sitting in the bank all those years. After he figured the total dollar amount for restitution, he went to the priest who would become his confessor after he was received into the church, and he told the priest about it. He asked the priest if he'd handle making the restitution for him. Of course, the priest agreed. Because he didn't want a paper trail that could be traced back to him, my student went to the bank and withdrew the cash he needed for the restitution and gave it to the priest. When the priest went to my student's former employer to make restitution, he discovered that the employer was dead, but that now his son ran the business. It just so happened that the son was a practicing Catholic, so he knew not to ask questions when the priest explained the reason for his visit. It gets even better, though, because the son said that since he didn't miss the money, the priest should just donate it to a pro-life group. He did, and everyone was happy. Best of all, my student was able to cleanse his conscience and soul of that burden. What about if we learn that we've purchased items that are stolen? Can we keep them? No, we have to restore those items to the rightful owner unless we have no way of locating them. It's also wrong for us to ask the owner to reimburse us for our monetary loss. The only person we can ask for money is the person who sold us the stolen goods. When we were kids, we were all familiar with finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Is this old children's rhyme correct? Can we keep what we find? If we find something of value, we must try to discover the owner in order to get it back to them. The more valuable it is, the greater our obligation to return the article. After all our earnest efforts, if we're unable to find the owner, 
we may keep the item. The one thing covered by the seventh commandment nearly all of us are guilty of has to do with borrowing something. It's wrong to keep what we've borrowed beyond the length of time established or agreed on with the owner. If no time was established or agreed on, we can't keep the borrowed item beyond what common sense and our conscience tells us is reasonable. To do anything else is theft. I just want to make a brief mention about cheating. Some forms of cheating are negligence in working, tax evasion, false advertisement, fraudulent contracts, false insurance claims, and copying in an examination. These are all pretty self-explanatory, but I do want to focus a bit on negligence and working. When you're at work, you're there to do a job, period. If you take work time to make personal calls, read your personal emails, or take time in Facebook or Twitter, you're guilty of stealing from your employer. These things are common in the workplace today, so you probably didn't realize it was wrong. Now that you know, though, you have to stop doing it. Speaking of the workplace, let's mention briefly the Seventh Commandment obligations for both workers and their employers. After all, every one of you are either an employer or an employee. Workers are obligated to conscientiously provide the quantitative and the qualitative work that they're being paid to perform, as well as guard against damage to their employer's property. This includes taking things belonging to your employer. For example, just because your employer provides an ample supply of paper clips for you to use doesn't mean you can take some home. The value may be negligible, but it's theft to take them nonetheless. What about the obligations of an employer under the Seventh Commandment? The Bible tells us the duties of employers. Sirach tells us that, quote, to take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood, end quote. And the Apostle James states that, quote, The wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, end quote. These passages tell us that employers must see to it that their workers are paid just wages without undue delays. In fact, what James tells us is one of the three sins that cry out from the earth for vengeance. The other two are murder and sodomy. That shows you how serious this is. There's one other major area covered by the Seventh Commandment, and that deals with the responsible use of money. Obviously, the first thing I want to talk about is living beyond your means. To contract debts beyond your means is an injustice to both your creditors and your dependents. I listen to talk radio every day. There's a debt relief company that advertises multiple times throughout my favorite shows. They tell listeners that you don't have to repay your debt to the credit card companies. That may be true from a legal perspective, but from a moral perspective, it's a lie. You do have to repay that debt. Until five years ago, most people would have considered us relatively wealthy. Our financial consultant, who was a convert to Catholicism and I thought was my best friend, stole every single penny we had. At the same time he hit us, he also stole money from several other clients, two banks, and even his own mother. Since then, we've had to live on a meager income that most Americans can't live on. At the time this happened, we had a credit card debt that we could afford. We could have filed for bankruptcy protection or gone to a debt relief company after this guy took our money, but we didn't because we owed the debt plain and simple. I learned a valuable lesson about debt. Money is a fleeting thing. It's here today and gone tomorrow. 
We've been paying down that debt as best as possible. Today, I keep one credit card for emergencies, and that's it. The average American household has an average credit card debt of more than $15,000. Nearly all the purchases made on those credit cards are for things people want, not things people need. This is totally unacceptable. If you have this sort of massive credit card debt, you really need to grow up and become a responsible adult. Take my advice and cut up your credit cards. You don't need them. Before you spend a single red cent, ask yourself if the purchase you're about to make is something you really have to have or is it something you can do without. Don't tell yourself things like, well, it's only a dollar, because those dollars add up very quickly. You can't buy a new car for less than $10,000 today. And you know what? You don't need one. What's wrong with a used car? Car payments? Forget it. If you can't afford to pay cash for it, you don't need it. I haven't had a car payment since the early 80s. Why on earth would you finance a liability? You're paying interest on an item that's worth less today than it was yesterday. Why would you just throw money away like that? There aren't many adults in America today. Adults are a dying breed. One of the signs that you're not an adult is debt. If you've got a lot of debt for a bunch of materialistic junk that you really don't need, you're not an adult. And I don't care if your actual age is 70. If you've got debt, it's time to put on your big boy pants and get your spending under control. Just because the government seems to think it can spend a lot more money than it takes in doesn't mean you can. The government is spending other people's money. You don't have that luxury. As a rule of thumb for living in harmony with the Seventh Commandment, if you can't afford to pay cash for a purchase, you don't need it. Renounce the prevalent materialism and become an adult. Finally, the last thing under the Seventh Commandment I want to mention is gambling. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a lottery ticket or a card game, there are rules for Catholics to follow. Opponents to gambling, particularly Protestant fundamentalists, claim gambling is wrong because it's irresponsible, wasteful, and the gambler has a desire to gain something for nothing. Such reasoning is flawed and intellectually dishonest. The stock market's nothing more than gambling. Our global economy would collapse without the stock market. Yet none of the gambling opponents are crying out for the abolition of stock markets. Indeed, most of those people have their retirement fund heavily invested in the stock market. To oppose gambling and not oppose the stock market is hypocrisy. Gambling opponents suggest that gambling is wasteful because the gambler, if he loses, has nothing to show for his money. But let's consider this. If a couple hires a babysitter to watch the kids, goes out to dinner, then to a movie, what have they got to show for the hundred bucks or so they blow? Nothing. Except a good time. Legitimate pleasure is what the couple paid for. And that's all gambling is, a legitimate pleasure. Ask a gambling opponent if he'd turned down a prize awarded by a merchant because he patronized the merchant's business. Of course not. And what is this but getting something for nothing? Which is one of the things gambling opponents cite as a reason for gambling being wrong. Gambling isn't sinful if done with moderation. It can become sinful, even a mortal sin, if it leads to dishonesty or risks the welfare of one's family. In other words, gambling should be fair and done only with money that's been budgeted for recreation. The operative word there is budgeted. Now we'll talk very, very briefly about the Tenth Commandment, which is you shall not covet anything which belongs to your neighbor. 
To covet a thing means to unlawfully desire something that belongs to another person. The Tenth Commandment forbids the desire to take or keep what belongs to another. It also forbids envy of the good fortune or success of others. Certainly it's morally permissible to desire what belongs to another if he's willing to make the possession a gift or sell it to you. The prohibition of the Tenth Commandment applies only to dishonest desires. If this weren't so, you could never purchase a car. The car belongs to the dealer, but he's certainly willing to sell it to you. Therefore, it's morally acceptable for you to desire it, provided you're willing to pay for it. That's it in a nutshell for the Seventh and Tenth Commandments. I hope you found this helpful in better forming your conscience. Next week, we'll continue on with this conscious formation material by covering the only commandment we haven't covered, which is the Eighth. I know you could use some help with the Eighth Commandment because it's probably the hardest one of all ten to obey. If you'd like to learn more about the things we've covered here, just visit joesixpackanswers.com and sign up for the free email course. Or visit cantankerouscatholic.com and pick up a copy of my book, Secrets of the Catholic Faith. See you next week. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step -step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Breitbart. The producers of Disney's animated series, Star Wars Resistance, have revealed that the show has featured an absolutely gay couple from the very beginning. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Flag and Cross. A woman who's apparently a constituent of the bartender 
completely stole the show during a recent town hall hosted by the freshman congresswoman, going on a rather strange rant about the issue of climate change. According to the woman in question, we only have a few months left and it's time to start eating babies. I ain't joking. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to LifeSite News. In a ruling that will have national repercussions, a federal judge permanently struck down a city ordinance that prohibited licensed counselors from providing voluntary talk therapy to minors seeking help to reduce or eliminate their unwanted same-sex attractions, behaviors, or identity. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to LifeSite News. An Iowa boy and his parents are fearful of retaliation by teachers and school officials after the stepfather objected to seeing his stepson subjected to LGBT propaganda sponsored by a local junior high school. There's a great video of the boy's parents with the school principal. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. EWTN news host Raymond Arroyo asked U.S. Bishops Michael Sheridan and Joseph Strickland in a joint interview about whether U.S. Catholics are troubled by Pope Francis' teachings and statements are schismatics or part of a plot to get the Pope. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. There's an enormous amount of debate about Medicare for All during this election cycle. Frankly, the entire debate disgusts me. The whole reason medical costs have gone out of control is because of the federal government's interference in our health care in the first place. So what on earth makes anyone think the government can make things better? The vast majority of my listeners aren't old enough to know and understand what actually happened. But I lived through the changes the government caused in health care. So you can understand what's happened, let me give you a brief history lesson about the way things got this way. I was born in the 1950s. When I was born, my mother had an obstetrician deliver me at the hospital. I was breached, so the doctor had to surgically deliver me. 
and as soon as I saw the light of the world, she had a pediatrician immediately take over my care. In those days, a woman remained in the hospital for three to seven days after childbirth. In mom's case, it was three days. So think about this. There were two specialist physicians, a delivery with complications, surgery, and three days in the hospital. Sounds expensive, doesn't it? Well, it wasn't. It was a mere $500. After accounting for inflation, that would only be $4,550 in 2019 money. My last child was born in 1984 with no complications and only an overnight hospital stay for his mom at a cost of a mere $32,000. Why the tremendous cost increase? Although I was only in grade school at the time, I can vividly recall President Lyndon Johnson and his Great Society program. A mere eight years after I was born, Johnson gave us Medicare and Medicaid. When Medicare and Medicaid were created in 1965, very few people had medical insurance. They really didn't need it. By 1970, everyone who had a job had medical insurance. Because our economy was so strong because it was supported by the military-industrial complex and the war in Vietnam, the only way employers could get and keep the best employees was to offer medical insurance as part of the employment package they offered. The first foray of the federal government into health care quadrupled medical costs almost overnight. That happened for two primary reasons. The first reason is because along with any federal program comes a laundry list of incredibly complex regulations. Those regulations were so complex, in fact, that they created a whole new industry of knowledgeable professionals who did nothing but deal with the regulations and consequent forms created by the establishment of Medicare and Medicaid. Of course, this dramatically increased the cost of doing business for doctors and hospitals. The second reason for substantially increased health care costs can be summed up in one word, greed. Many unscrupulous doctors and hospitals, especially the latter, began charging Medicare and Medicaid for services that were never performed. Who cared? After all, the taxpayer was the only one on the hook, and you had to pay your taxes whether you wanted to or not. Between regulations and fraud, the federal government's intrusion into health care caused medical expenses to go on an upward spiral that's gone completely out of control. Add that to a host of federal regulations and laws such as HIPAA, health care costs continue to soar until they're unaffordable for virtually all Americans except the wealthy. Even after all this, the omniscient federal government wants to fix the very system it broke in the first place with so-called Medicare for All. It should be called Medicare for None, because that's exactly what's going to happen. It'll get so expensive that the government will have no choice but to ration needed health care services. That means the government will decide who lives and who dies. Absolutely none of this is constitutional in the first place. The Tenth Amendment in the Constitution's Bill of Rights says this, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So now I challenge anyone to find anything in the Constitution that authorizes Medicare or Medicaid. In fact, my challenge extends to Social Security, student tuition grants, welfare, food stamps, corporate welfare, or any other program where the federal government spends our money. 
These things simply aren't constitutional. If the individual states want these programs and their constitutions permit it, then more power to them. But there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that authorizes them on a federal level. I believe that all entitlement programs should be immediately abolished except Social Security and Medicare. Those two programs should be abolished too, but by phasing them out. Americans have paid into those programs all their lives, so they should be phased out to be fair. If we want affordable health care, it's time to boot the federal government out of what isn't any of its business anyway. Nothing works better to control prices and spur new innovations than a free market. I mean a fully free market, not a partially free market that has government involved even in the least little bit. This is why capitalism works and socialism doesn't. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In the 19th century in Greece, there lived a notorious robber named Simon. One eventful night, he and his gang were gathered around a fire in the cave they used as a hideout. One of the robbers who was guarding the entrance to the hideout sent a warning that someone dressed like a monk was approaching. Let him in, yelled Simon. He'll be surprised to find himself in good company. The monk drew closer. He was bent over as if carrying something heavy on his shoulder. When he made it to the cave entrance, one of Simon's men whispered to him, he looks like Christ. Well, if he looks like Christ, let him die like Christ. Let's crucify him, Simon shouted boldly. Then the stranger walked up to Simon, stretched out his hand, showed him the wound in his hand, and said, Hammer the nail in the same place where I've been nailed before when I died on the cross for you, Simon. I've come to tell you to let there be an end to the sinful life you lead. The stranger suddenly disappeared. Simon couldn't sleep at all that night because the vision of Christ bothered him. He ran away from his wicked men and went to a monastery to do penance for his sins. He eventually became Brother Simon. Simon had all the dispositions to make a good confession. After Jesus appeared to him, Simon examined his conscience and was truly sorry for his sins. He made up his mind not to sin again because he left his men. He became a brother in a monastery and confessed his sins often. He not only did the penances the priest gave him, but Simon spent the rest of his life doing penance. What about you? You need to go to confession? This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.